It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Manish, before we get into anything else, how was your Thanksgiving, sir? It was great. I actually enjoyed it with my family without getting into too many boring details. I watched uh, Home Alone and Home Alone 2 for the millionth time. Uh, it gets funnier every year. Uh, every time I watch it. So that coupled with a Buffalo Bills win was how I spent uh, how I spent my Thursday. And I'm sure plenty of turkey, right? Uh well, look, it's a vegetarian family, so no turkey, so we have to call an audible in our household and uh, adjust accordingly. Had to have been pie then, right? There was. There's that apple pie. Everyone <laughs> seemed to enjoy that uh, uh my mom most specifically enjoyed that uh so she got the she got the bulk of that even though I, uh, you know, even though I bought it, but you know, that's probably a different story for a different <laughs> for a different day. Well, at least you had some pie. If there's no turkey, there's at least got to be pie. <laughs> I'll say this: your Thanksgiving was much more upbeat than what happened a couple of days later, and the mood that Jets fans were in after they saw Jamal Adams in a walking boot after the game on Sunday. I covered this on the podcast the other day with Matt Stipulkowski of NJ.com. We talked about how Jamal looked super depressed, how he was on the verge of tears, and I think at one point he was probably choking them back. It appeared that he didn't really know what was going on, and the fear was very evident in his voice in terms of his thought that he probably was going to miss quite a bit of time, perhaps even the rest of the season. Nobody knew the extent of the injury yet. Do we know anything more now? Well, look, it's a, it's an ankle sprain. I don't think it's your garden variety ankle sprain. Uh, I think conventional wisdom suggests that it's a high ankle sprain of some sort. Uh, uh, the Jets have had players who had that this year, actually. Quinn Williams early in the year, uh, Kelvin Beecham a little bit later. And uh, guys recover from that uh, you know, at, at different rates. Uh, it also obviously depends on what position you're playing. A little bit different if you're playing in the trenches versus – you know, uh, being a linebacker who's kind of moving all around the field like Jamal Adams. And as you just said, uh, could it be a season ender? Yeah, that sounds really dramatic, but uh, there's only four games left. And if you look specifically at the next two games, they've got two games in, I think, what, 12, 13 days, uh, a compressed amount of time because after this Miami game, they've got the, the Ravens on a short week on a Thursday night. Uh, I wouldn't anticipate that he would play against the Dolphins. Uh, probably a stretch, uh, you know, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but probably a stretch to think that he could play against the Ravens. Uh, I, I just don't see how it makes much sense. Uh, you know, they're 4-8 team, Scott. Uh, they're not making the postseason. He is your best player. Why uh, risk any potential for further damage? 
he's an extremely competitive person. And as you said, yeah, he was emotional. I, I don't think he was, you know, going to break down, uh, you know, to a flood of tears, but he clearly was upset. Uh, he's a clearly emotional person, emotional player. Uh, and the fact that he played the entire game after uh, suffering this injury on the first drive really tells you about his toughness and his competitiveness and his ability and willingness to, to gut it out in a, you know, quote-unquote meaningless game. So uh, I don't know uh, whether he'll miss four games or not. Uh, again, because of the way the schedule sets up, I think at the very least the wise course of action would be for him to not play against Miami and then on the quick turnaround in Baltimore. And that leaves two more games after that, and they're out of it. So, uh, again, why risk the possibility of something worse happening to your best player? Let's talk about a couple of other injuries. Sam Darnold a little bit banged up. Arthur Millette, Brian Poole. What's going on with these guys? Well, Darnold uh, bruised up his ribs a little bit. I don't think that's any, any kind of issue. Adam Gase didn't seem to, uh, you know, project any kind of concern on Monday when he discussed that. Uh, now he had been dealing with uh, a knee issue, uh, you know, a knee tweak, uh, maybe a slight sprain of some sort. Uh, but uh, you know, he looked fine in terms of the mobility all game. He got banged up toward the very end of the game uh, and stayed in. Uh, he said that he just needs to kind of, you know, ice it up and main and main, you know, keep up with the maintenance part of that. So I don't believe that that's any kind of debilitating injury uh, of any kind. Uh, you know, barring some kind of further injury in game, I wouldn't anticipate that that would be a problem for the final month of the season. Manish, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell a little bit here. You have a piece up at the Daily News right now. And this is a frustrating thing for Jets fans because, A, we all know how good Le'Veon Bell is, and B, particularly in this game, Adam Gase's strategy was very, very strange. We knew going in that the Bengals' biggest weakness was their inability to stop the run. They're 32nd in the league. We also knew that they were especially weak at stopping the run on the outside because on the inside, at least they had Geno Atkins, who is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league. Adam Gase only ran the ball 15 times, and he almost never ran it to the outside. So strategically, this was a big head-scratcher for Gase. And once again, Le'Veon Bell was not used much. And it seems like, as you wrote in your article at the Daily News, he's almost wasting away this season. For the first time in the post-game presser, even though he was saying all the right things again, you could hear the frustration in his voice. He wasn't able to really hide it this time. What's going on here? Are we looking at a divorce coming at the end of this season? Are the Jets going to trade Le'Veon Bell for whatever they can get to whoever will trade for him at the end of the year? Yeah, look, there's a lot to unpack there, Scott. I just want to backtrack real quick because I did not mention a couple injuries uh, on the back end that the Jets are also dealing with in addition to Jamal Adams. Brian Poole's actually in the concussion protocol uh, he went through the concussion protocol during the game and then returned and then had some symptoms on Monday. So they put him back in the protocol. So that's something that bears watching because, as you know, he's probably been, uh, you know, their best corner all season. You know, Bless Austin's probably playing the best right now. But clearly Poole has been a valuable asset for Greg Williams. So keep an eye on that. And Arthur Millette, who had been playing okay over the past couple weeks, is dealing with a calf strain. He won't play against Miami. He's kind of a week-to-week type of deal as well. So uh, he could potentially miss the Raven game as well. Uh, Maurice Kennedy, who they uh, kind of dusted off this past week, uh, will likely replace him. So it's a banged-up secondary. It had been prior to Sunday. Uh, they could be missing a couple more guys. I think the guy, obviously, that they would miss the most would be Brian Poole. 
but you know those concussion protocols are tricky to predict. Uh, we'll see at the end of the week whether he gets cleared or not. But just something to keep an eye on. Uh, regarding Le'Veon Bell, uh, it's a head scratcher in, in so many ways, uh, and I know that Jet fans and reporters and you know, people interested in the team have discussed, uh, you know, his lack of production, his uh, you know, lack of uh, usage. I mean, he's he's not being completely marginalized, even though he was relatively marginalized against uh, the Bengals. But this season, you know, he's getting a fair amount of touches. Now it's still a 20% reduction in touches from what he is used to in, in Pittsburgh. He was averaging 25 touches a game for Gase. On paper, it doesn't look horrible. Uh, he's averaging 20 touches per game. But if you take a, a closer look at how he's being deployed, uh, how he's actually being used when Sam Darnold is the quarterback, he's only touching the ball 18 times in the nine games that he has played with Sam Darnold this year. Uh, and, and just kind of in-game, uh, how he's not being maximized. Uh, I thought, you, you, I mean, of all the things you just said, the one of the things that I that really jumped off the page to me was uh, this, the Bengals have struggled on the edge. They struggled against the run. They're the worst team in, in the league against the run, averaging, uh, giving up, uh, what, 166 yards a game. And, yeah, if you take a snapshot in a smaller window, they've been better. But, uh, you know, 11-game sample size to that point is fairly representative of uh, who they were in terms of a run defense, the worst in the NFL, specifically on the edges. They're not particularly good on the edges, not good at all overall, but uh, if you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, the weakest part of that weak run defense, it is along the edges, and and the Jets didn't really run the ball, uh, you know, outside the tackles. They they ran it, you know, in the interior, uh, but they did have success, and I think what's, uh, what's maddening, to me at least, is looking at uh, this first half. It, it was a one-possession game until about a minute or so uh, when uh, the, when the uh, the Bengals made it to, what seventeen to six or seventeen three whatever whatever it was uh, uh, to make it a two-possession game. But it was a one-possession game by and large for the entire first half. The Jets' running backs had nine carries for forty-three yards. That's four point eight yards a carry. So nearly five yards a carry every time he touched the ball. Uh, that tells you that your suspicions are confirmed. The Bengals' run defense is terrible, and you should keep running the ball. So why did Adam Gase dial up 28 pass plays in the first half in a tight game? Sam Darnold had 25 pass attempts, but the play calls were 28-9 pass to run when you factor in you know, sacks and uh, Darnold scrambling out of pressure when he drops back. Uh, that's a 3-1 to pass to run ratio. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. That, to me, screams of a head coach who's trying to outthink himself perhaps, maybe be too creative, show people he's the smartest guy in the stadium. I, I don't exactly know the rationale, but what I do know is that a peewee coach could look at the Bengals' defense and say, hey, we have to attack them in their weakest area, which is running the ball and then even more specifically running it on the edges and doing it until they prove that they can't stop us. And they did not prove to anybody that they could stop the Jets when they ran the ball in the first half, nearly five yards of carry, but not running the ball nearly enough. That is the problem. And after the game, I asked Gase why the lopsided uh, pass-run ratio, why lean so much uh, through the air in the first half in a tight game. And he said, well, that's just the way the game was going. Well, obviously that's the way the game was going. He was dictating the way the game was going by calling so many passes. So that, to me, is a non-answer. 
And when I asked uh, in a follow-up to ex- for him to expound on that, he said, well, that's just what I called. That, to me, is, is a coach who is defiant and arrogant and just does not want to uh, engage in any kind of meaningful discussion on his game planning, which failed. Now, if they had won and he was arrogant and defiant, okay. You know, you have every right to respond in any manner that you want if you show everyone else that you were right in, you know, using this strategy. However, he was, not only was he wrong, but he completely whiffed on the strategy. They did not get into the red zone. They did not score a touchdown against the worst defense in the NFL. He had an entire week to prepare to, you know, figure out the best way to attack this horrible defense. And he could not get in the red zone. He could not score a touchdown. That is so embarrassing. I thought that they hit rock bottom when they lost to the 0-7 Miami Dolphins, uh, who fired him uh, you know, months earlier. But I think that in some ways you can make a pretty good case that this loss was even worse, an 0-11 team. Uh, and it was, it was almost handed to the Bengals on a silver platter by Gase because of the way he called the, the game. Now, it's not the only reason they lost. The penalties killed them, 10 of them inopportune times in the second half. Uh, Those were terrible as well. But by and large, everything gets set in motion by your strategy and by your planning. And this plan was so laughably bad. And and even the the biggest Adam Gase apologist cannot defend this guy and say, yeah, that was the right way to attack this terrible team. Gase's response to you sounds like a parent who knows he's wrong. And instead of addressing the fact that he's wrong, just says, just do what I said. Yeah, that, I mean, that is who he is, and I learned this more and more. Win or loss, uh, the last three weeks were, were great for fans to enjoy uh, the day, great for the players to enjoy the victories. Uh, let's be honest, they beat two of probably the three or four worst teams in the NFL, uh, the Redskins, who are quote-unquote hot right now, and, and the Giants, who arguably might be the worst team in the NFL, along with the Bengals. Uh, so that you'll kind of mask, I think, what Adam Gates has still been all along. Now, they beat the Raiders, but what are the Raiders? The Raiders just got blown out again. The Raiders are a 6-16. and The Jets have four wins. None of those four wins have come against a team who currently has a winning record. You know, they've beaten two 6-16 and teams, and then they've beaten two terrible teams. So that's who they are right now. But in terms of Gates and uh, – growing and evolving and you know through through the week scott we've talked about you know different reasons why you know i disagree with a lot of things that he does behind the scenes but hey if you're if you're dropping 34 points a week uh, people can tend to temporarily at least forget that but uh they they played this game so poorly they coached this game so poorly it was almost as if they were playing uh the 49ers or the uh, you know, or the or the uh, the Seahawks, you know, or, or the the you know the Packers or the Patriots. Name any really good team this year. It almost felt like they were playing against a first place team instead of the worst team in the NFL. They were not in this game outside of the first couple minutes. The Bengals controlled this football game, and it's so odd to say that because the Bengals are not a good football team. But that to me speaks to coaching. Uh, you go through that first drive. I do give Gase credit because I thought that they they did a really nice job on that first drive from a game-planning perspective. Uh, You know, it's not Gase's fault that Le'Veon Bell dropped the first pass of the game. It's not not Adam Gase's fault that uh, that Sam Darnold slightly underthrew 
Robbie Anderson, who dropped a potentially 40-yard touchdown. It's not Adam Gase's fault that Braxton Berrios dropped a wide-open pass, a perfect pass by Sam Darnold. Uh, that's three drops on the first drive. Not Gase's fault. Not, not his fault in, in any way, shape, or form. However, there's a lot of football left to be played after the first drive. And I think a lot of the blame, if not most of the blame, can be placed on the head coach for just kind of how he navigated through uh, you know, the remaining three and a half quarters. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. There were a lot of things that Gase did during that game that just made you scratch your head. The big one, obviously, was the lack of running, but also rolling Sam Darnold out to the side where Carlos Dunlop was, and Carlos Dunlop is obviously the Bengals' best pass rusher. No idea why you would keep doing that, especially when you would see the result happen over and over again where Dunlop was having his way. A lot of one-on-ones with Brandon Shell that was never going to go well, never made an adjustment there. Is this another case of Adam Gase wanting to prove that he's the smartest guy in the room because conventional wisdom said run the ball outside, he didn't. Conventional wisdom said roll your quarterback away from the opposing team's best pass rusher, and he didn't. There were no adjustments in the second half, and Manish, I talked about this on Sunday night, there were adjustments that came from the other side of the ball because the defense got beat up really bad in the first half, tightened up a little bit in the second half, and only gave up three points in the second half, so Greg Williams did his part. He made his adjustments. I'm not saying that the Jets' offense is phenomenal and that they should be blowing the doors off of teams with 35 four points every week but six points when we can sit here and point to numerous coaching mistakes I don't understand how you just don't take that one on the chin if you're Adam Gase he did just about everything wrong and it backfired in a spectacular way he did everything wrong you're right uh it was it was awful uh I'm glad you brought up the the design rollouts because early in the season uh Adam Gase uh because he was game planning as if Peyton Manning was 
quarterback instead of a, a mobile young Sam Darnold, did not roll Sam Darnold out very much. There weren't that many design rollouts. He was in the pocket, and I know for a fact that going into this season, really after taking the job, Adam Gase was determined to make Sam Darnold a better pocket passer. Makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, obviously that's what what uh, you know Darnold you would think over the course of 10, 15 years is going to make his money. He's going to make his money in the pocket. I get that. I understand it. I agree with it. But uh, while all that development is happening, you need to accentuate this player's skill set, which is throwing on the move and getting him outside of the pocket. So I remember uh, a few weeks into the season asking Gase, why aren't there many design rollouts? Why aren't we seeing a a lot of what we saw Darnold do in his rookie year, the second half of his rookie year when he found success, which was move the pocket, Let, let him throw in the run, let him do what he's doing well right now while you teach him. And Gase's response, I remember this so clearly, Gase's response was, well, it's difficult sometimes to do that against defenses who have great edge pass rushers. You, you, don't, you, know, you don't want to be rolling him out into the face of uh, a guy who's going to you know, basically beat your tackle and then be right in Darnold's face. And then things get kind of cloudy or muddy. I, I, don't, you know, I, I think he used one of those two terms. And, you know, it sounds great. It sounds like, okay, that's a decent explanation. <laughs> and then ultimately, uh, Adam Gase either realized or Sam Darnold said, hey, we need, to roll my, we, need, we need to roll me out of the pocket more. And you saw a lot more of that. Uh, and so you know, there, there's a way to do it where you can, roll, you can still roll your quarterback out away from the most dangerous threat on the edge, as you said. And clearly he did not do that. So it's just – it's very difficult to decipher Adam Gase's logic and his thinking because it changes. And uh, this is not only from you know my experience in hearing you know things over the past 10, 11 months. It goes back to you know his, the way he comports himself and handles himself uh, you know in the in the past. And just talking with people who have worked with him, worked beside him, uh, worked for him, uh, he's always changing his mind about seemingly everything, and that makes it very difficult to pinpoint uh, how he truly feels about a particular player or a particular issue because it's always in flux, and he's always a moving target because everything that he does and he says publicly and privately is designed to absolve himself of any blame if things go wrong. And, uh, you know, we, we started off this discussion talking about Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell... Uh, is a perfect example of what I am talking about. Adam Gase did not want Le'Veon Bell. I don't care about the money. Let's forget the money part of the discussion because the money part of the discussion is a convenient addendum to what actually happened. He did not want Le'Veon Bell because he believes that his offense functions best if there are multiple threats, and multiple not meaning two or three, but four or five different threats to a defense. So that if you're a defensive coordinator game planning for his offense, you can't say, hey, we take out this one player, we're in good shape, we're going to win this game. He wants four or five viable guys. And he has likened his offense to a basketball team in which you have five viable threats on the court at a given time to make it difficult to to put stress on a defense. That is his philosophy. That has always been his philosophy. I believe that that's always going to be his philosophy. And that is why he didn't want Le'Veon Bell, because he knows that if you're going to get Le'Veon Bell, you're obviously not going to 
uh, you know, pay league minimum form. So you're going to have to pay a pretty penny. And if you pay a pretty penny and you have this player who's so accomplished and so used to getting 25 touches a game, which he had averaged uh, in the first five years of his career, then that would throw his offense out of whack. That's not his, that's not an Adam Gase offense. And Adam Gase offense is having Demarius Thomas, uh, uh, Eric Decker, uh, Wes Welker, you know, uh, a running back by committee, it's having five or six very good with, you know, very good to potentially great guys uh, who could kill a defense on every given week. And look, I, I do understand that in philosophy. Uh, I think in practice that doesn't really work because when you have a special player uh, like Le'Veon Bell on your team, you need for your offense to run through him. He can't just be another cog in the wheel. He can't just be one-fifth of your offense. He has to be a focal point of your offense, not because you're paying him a lot of money, but because he's a special talent. Guys like Le'Veon Bell don't come out of the draft every year. There's a reason he's Le'Veon Bell. It's because of the ability that he has as a pass catcher, as a receiver, as a running back, as a pass protector. He is a special difference-making talent. And Adam Gase had no desire to have him on his team because he did not want to alter his plan. And that's why I think, looking back on it, it's comical listening to what he said in the spring and the summer about how his plan is always in pencil. I think he actually said this back in league meetings in, uh, you know, back in the in the winter time or you know early spring uh, before free agency, in which he said uh, when discussing all his players, well, my plan is in pencil. That, that's not true. His plan is not in pencil. It's never been in pencil. The plan is in, in ink. It's in blood. Players can have to conform to what he wants and what he envisions within the, the parameters of his offense, not the other way around. And, and that, to me, is a flaw. Uh, it's actually ironic because, you know, when I did my research after he got the job, look, his mentor is Mike Martz. What's Mike Martz most known for? for being the offensive play caller for the greatest show on turf in, in St. Louis with Warner and uh, Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce. Uh, what was that offense revolved around? It was revolved, revolved around some great players, but it ran through Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was a, a dual threat, and everything went through him. Now, did everybody else eat? Did everybody else get their numbers? Uh, are there two borderline wa- Hall of Fame wide receivers uh, you know, in that offense? Yes, there are. But everything went through the running back, and everything doesn't go through the running back in this Jet offense. I thought that Gase would have taken a page out of Mars' book, but he didn't. And that, to me, is the most maddening thing, because Le'Veon Bell's 27 years old. Uh, you asked about a divorce. I've been saying now, reporting for, for weeks, for months, uh, even you know before the trade deadline and after, trade de- after the trade deadline, the Jets would be amenable to trading him if they could find a trade partner. The only way they can find a trade partner is if the Jets eat part of his salary. Uh, he's got $13.5 million in cash next year. I think the base salary is $8 million, some somewhere in the neighborhood. So they would have to absorb some of that money. But, uh, but Adam Gase is not engaged with – he's not fully engaged in trying to get – uh, Le'Veon Bell involved in his offense. So to me, it's it's really not a surprise that he's got a you know, such a reduction in his workload. I think he's averaging somewhere around 82, 83 yards a game, total yards a game. This is a player who was the fastest player in NFL history to amass 8,000 total yards. He averaged 129 total yards a game in Pittsburgh. So that's a 36% reduction 
in his workload, and he's not 30. He's not 35. He's 27 years old. He's still in a sweet spot in his career in which he should be dominating. And I think for another coach in another in another system in a, you know for another team, uh, he would be dominating. And the fact that he is wasting away these these final prime years in his career is is a shame. If you're a football fan, it's it's a shame to see because he's such an incredible player and he has been marginalized for a number of reasons, but most of all because of his head coach. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, this feels like another case of Adam Gase being stubborn because the best coaches adjust to the talent that they have. And even if you didn't want Le'Veon Bell, if you're sitting here, as you said, with a guy that before getting here looked like he was on his way to Canton, and I still think he has a strong chance to get there, his career is far from over. Why wouldn't you do what you just said and change up the offense and make sure that he's fully involved, try and revolve it around him? I understand that the offensive line is bad and it's not tailored to his running style. He's somebody that's very patient along the lines of what Curtis Martin was. He waits for the holes to develop and this offensive line can't hold open the holes. And we're going to talk about the offensive line in a second. However... There are still plenty of different ways to use him effectively. We saw it last week when Sam Darnold got him involved early on in the passing game. Do what the Rams did with Marshall Falk, as you just mentioned, and use him a lot as that dual threat in the passing game. Even if they can stop him running because of the offensive line, they won't be able to stop him in these one-on-one matchups with the mismatches that he's going to get with linebackers a lot of the time. So use him that way. It just, to me, seems again like Adam Gase only has one way to do things and if he can't do things his way he's gonna just let it burn and that's what we're seeing it's frustrating because he's not adjusting at halftime the way that the best coaches do he's not adjusting his scheme to the talent that he has and these are all mistakes that he made in Miami that you would hope he would have learned from by now and he doesn't seem to have learned at all no he hasn't and I think part of the reason is because he got another head coaching job so quickly and a lot of people warned me and said, hey, you know what, I know you're high on this guy. Yeah, I know you think he's got good ideas and he's got smart ideas. But he, you know, he will not change because he has no reason to change. If he had a year, two, three, four years of going back to being a play caller, only a play caller and being an offensive coordinator, perhaps he would have had used that time to, to learn and to grow and to evolve. Whereas I believed that he would, took his failings in Miami and would have learned even though uh, he didn't have to sit out. He would have been so grateful that he got this opportunity that no other team in the, in the NFL gave him that he would learn from his mistakes, but that didn't happen. You know, I was wrong about that. He did not learn from his mistakes. Uh, he was not humbled by what happened in Miami. In fact, he was emboldened uh, that what he was doing in Miami, even though it ultimately failed, wasn't his fault because another NFL team, one in his division, mind you, had enough faith and belief in him to hire him a week after he got fired. So clearly it was the Dolphins' fault. It was the organization's fault. It was the player's fault. It was the front office's fault. It was not Adam Gase's fault because another team hired him right away. So 
they believed everything he was doing was, was, was right. So why should he change? And that's, unfortunately for the Jets fans, what transpired. That has been his outlook. It's been his outlook all along. Uh, uh, the idea of growing and changing, you know, that sounds great in conversation. It looks great in print. I've written that multiple times, uh, thinking that, uh, you know, he, he would use some of those issues he had in Miami to his benefit and learn and adjust. He didn't do any of it. He didn't do any of it. He's the exact same coach that he, that he was in Miami. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a losing coach in Miami. He's a losing coach with the Jets. He's, uh, if, if not for the NFC East, which is the, the worst division in football, uh, God knows where, you know, where, where this team would be record wise. He's one in seven in the AFC. Uh, that's not good. You know, that's not average. That's horrible. Uh, you know, he's one in five on the road. That's horrible. He's lost 41% of his game, Scott. Now think about this. He has lost 41% of his games, 61 games in three and three-quarter seasons, 41% by double digits. That, to me, is amazing, that every time he steps on a field on a Sunday, Monday, or Thursday night, there's a 41% chance that his team is going to lose by double digits. That is absolutely embarrassing in every possible way. And if you are anyone other than Adam Gates' close friends and family – you cannot defend that. There have been a number uh, of different players, different quarterbacks. You can't excuse. Uh, you can't excuse this incredibly, you know, terrible production. Even if you look at pace of play, I mean, one of the things that Gay said on Monday was such a, a head scratcher to me. When explaining uh, getting Le'Veon Bell involved, he said, well, the more plays you get, the more plays you can, you can run, which in theory is accurate. You, you know, you get more plays in a game, you're going to have more opportunities to run and to pass. And that's common sense, right? And so he targeted the 65 to 75 play mark as a good zone to be in to get, you know, a healthy amount of touches for your players, including Le'Veon Bell. Well, the Jets have only reached the 65-play plateau in three of their 12 games. And so, I, you know, I did a little research, and I already knew going into, you know, going into the season that the Miami Dolphins uh, had the slowest pace of play in two of Adam Gase's three years. I think in that third, in the middle season, I believe, uh, they, they were 22nd. Uh, but in two of the three years that he was the head coach in Miami, they had the slowest pace of play, the fewest plays per game. Well, the Jets are 31st in plays per game this year with Adam Gase. So nothing has changed in that area. And in those three games in which the Jets had 65-plus plays per game, Le'Veon Bell actually had fewer touches in those three games, 19 touches per game, uh, versus his season average, which is 19.9 touches per game. So 19 versus 20. He actually had fewer touches in those three games uh, that qualified in the description that Adam Gase gave on Monday. So I don't believe much of anything he says. Whenever he says something, I have to fact check it. I have to look and say, well, is this actually true? Or is this just true in his mind? Because I, I can't tell, if I'm being perfectly honest, I can't tell if he actually believes that what he's saying is true or if he's trying to pull a fast one on everybody by intentionally misleading them. That I don't know. Uh, you know, I've had people tell me, that he's not necessarily a prevaricator because when he says stuff, he actually believes it to be true, which is, leads me to the old Seinfeld clip 
uh, when George Costanza says it's not a lie if you believe it's true. That kind of uh, my <laughs> mind always flashes back to that whenever I hear Gay say something. But you know, he mentioned that sixty-five, seventy-five play zone, and it's just not true. I mean, Slavia Bell has had fewer touches in those games, so I'm not exactly sure. Uh, you know how to you know being someone who covers the team, and if you're a fan, someone who follows the team. It's very difficult to navigate through anything he says. I think the best judge, frankly, is to look at the results. And I think the results will tell you what the actual truth is. Because whatever comes out of his mouth has to be taken with a grain of salt. Manish, that reminds me of a story that was told about the 1988 World Series Game 1, the famous Kirk Gibson at bat where he hit the home run off of Dennis Eckersley. Gibson said that Mel Didier, who is a scout for the Dodgers, had told him and all the left-handed hitters on the team that his research indicated that if Eckersley had a left-handed hitter 3-2, he was going to go to a backdoor slider. So that's what Gibson was looking for, and he hit it over the fence, and it's obviously become one of the most legendary plays in sports history. Well, it was looked up, and apparently Dennis Eckersley had never gone to a 3-2 count that entire season with a left-handed hitter. So (laughs) even though he got the right advice, it turned out to be completely fraudulent. So it reminded me of that story when you were just talking about what Adam Gase said with the 65-75 to play zone. I can't get into the head of Adam Gase right now, but if I could, I would certainly love to know if he got a little bit overconfident and if the team got a little bit overconfident because, as they say, Manish, the team takes on the personality of the head coach. The Jets won three games in a row. They were playing the worst team in the league. Perhaps that's why they came out looking so flat, but that's another thing that has to be put at the feet of the head coach. The Jets just didn't look prepared to play. No, they did not look prepared to play, and it's... It, it's always uh, difficult for me to tell or, or to conclude that a team uh, overlooked an opponent because it's very hard for me to know what each player's psyche is. I would like to think that they would realize that the guys in Cincinnati didn't take the week off, that they were preparing as well. So I always, maybe it's just a personal bias of mine, but I always tend to believe that players – uh, by and large, not everyone, but, but players in general don't take opponents lightly at this level because there there are some very talented players on, on the other side. Uh, even though I, mean, I, I hadn't heard of a lot of the defensive players, if I'm you know being completely honest with you, but uh, uh, I, I hate thinking that players overlook opponents, especially players who are on a four and seven team. It's not as if uh, we're talking about one of the best teams in football overlooking the worst team in football. We're talking about a bad football team overlooking per, uh, perhaps a worse football team, maybe not anymore in the eyes of a lot of people. But it's not as if the Jets had done enough, I thought, to overlook anyone. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, I, I can, like I said, I can't get in the heads of 50-plus guys. I, I don't know. Uh, and in terms of coaching, I, mean, I, I don't think that Adam Gase overlooked the Bengals uh, Gase I made it a point to say that he was going to be grinding through Thanksgiving and preparing, and I don't think that was lip service. Uh, Gase does sp- spend a lot of time uh, trying. You know, if that if that is any solace to Jet fans, he's not Steve Spurrier. He's not going golfing at five o'clock. You know, he's not punching the clock, uh, leaving at the yabba dabba do time at five. You know, that's not happening. <laughs> he does put in the time and the effort. So. 
uh, you know, I, I don't want to portray an image of him cutting corners in, in preparation. I, I don't think that's true. He's a very hard worker. I, you know, I give him a lot of credit. I do respect his work ethic. Uh, th- that to me is not in question. It's what's he doing with his time? Because there is a different a difference between working hard and working smart. And I've always been taught that my entire life. You can bang your head and prepare for a test for five hours, uh, and then somebody else can, uh, you know, know exactly how to prepare and spend, you know, one hour. And and that one hour is more useful than five hours. Uh, And I don't know, you know, what's happening in that building in terms of preparation and how Gase is approaching it. I just know that he does have a good work ethic, and he puts in the time and the effort. Uh, So I don't believe, and I can't speak, I'm not speaking on the rest of the coaching staff. I'm speaking specifically about Adam Gase, the head coach. I don't believe that Adam Gase ever cuts corners in terms of work ethic and, and, and time and preparation. He loves football. He lives and breathes football. Uh, I think part of his arrogance and stubbornness stems from the fact that he thinks that he knows a lot more about football than you or me will ever know. And the only reason he can say that is because he has devoted his professional life uh, to football. So I don't think that's ever in question. So I don't have a, a real definitive answer in, in you know, concluding that they did or did not uh, take the Bengals lightly. What I do know is that the product on the field wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, did Le'Veon Bell not prepare when he dropped the first pass of the game? I, you know, I don't agree with that. I think he just dropped the pass. I think that's that's poor execution. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, we're always looking for reasons why something so – inconceivable, maybe not in the eyes of some Jet fans, but inconceivable to me at least, why something inconceivable like this, you know, getting blown out by the Bengals could happen. Uh, I don't think it's because of a lack of preparation. I just think that they're not very good. I think they had a poor strategy, a poor plan. And obviously, we haven't even touched on this, the penalties, 10 penalties for over 100 yards, untimely penalties, they were absolute killers in this game. I was just going to bring that up, Manish, because the penalties are another indication of an undisciplined team and a team that wasn't ready to play. There were a ton of them. I know that over the last couple of weeks, we forgot about the penalty problem because the Jets were playing so well, but this has been something that's gone on all season. And on top of that, the offensive line was responsible for most of them, and they were terrible, absolutely terrible. Compton in particular was as bad as it gets. The only redeeming quality of this offensive line on Sunday was that Kelvin Beecham looked like 20 million bucks in the locker room after the game in his powder blue suit and tie. Other than that, the offensive line was basically disgraceful all day, and those penalties just crushed the Jets. Even more going against the coach here, because as much as he doesn't want to admit that this is a reflection on him, and this goes back to his time in Miami where he would say a lot of the same things, the players know what they need to do, I can't get out there and play for them. If these things keep happening over and over again, it just means that there's a lack of discipline. And again, that's on the coaches. Absolutely. That, that is a clear reflection of coaching. And if we are going to get on Todd Bowles for the penalties and uh, the fourth quarter collapses, uh, and rightfully so, uh, then you can't absolve his replacement if if the penalties continue to happen. That's a reflection on coaching. And I know that it's a tough spot for for not only Gates, but for for all coaches when their teams commit penalties. It's an easy thing to say, I'm not on the field. I'm not the one who blocked the guy in the back. I'm not the one who had the the penalty to negate (laughs) Le'Veon Bell's Longest run of the season, uh, uh, you know, it's surely maddening for Gase. 
I, I empathize with him in that respect, but it is a reflection on him. And uh, he is the king of pointing fingers. I think we've established that over the course of the first three months of the season. It's everybody else's fault except him. Uh, he, he's, not, he's only calling the plays. Uh, it's not his fault. It'll never be his fault as long as he's in football. Uh, he will continue to make excuses. I think that has become abundantly clear. It's unfortunate because I thought that would be another thing that he could uh, evolve from, grow out of. That hasn't happened to this point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the offensive line, not their finest moment, to say the least. The seven penalties, I think they had eight on offense, seven were on the offensive line. The back-to-back Compton penalties, uh, including the one that in, on the play that I just mentioned, the third and 14 uh, run to Le'Veon Bell, such a – Interesting, like three seconds uh, for for me because it was third and fourteen. As soon as I saw Sam Darnold hand the ball off to Le'Veon Bell, I started shaking my head, thinking, "What is Adam Gase doing? Why are they running on third and 14? And then Le'Veon Bell turned into Le'Veon Bell, and he had a really a great run. He's had some really good moments, but this was probably probably his best run, one of his top two or three runs of the season. Goes for what would have been a season-high 23 yards, and, and then Compton gets called for you know the back-to-back penalties, and it wipes that out. And and then when they get pinned down, you know inside the inside the two, you get the Brandon Shell penalty, and then you get the hold by Beecham, uh, to, you know cause the safety. And then the only time the Jets would have gotten into the red zone on that nice play to Bilal Powell, Beecham gets called for penalties, which I thought was ticky-tack because I don't think, you know, if you look at the letter of the law, that was a penalty. But, you know, look, they called it a penalty. I don't think it was egregious by any stretch, but I think that it could have gone either way. Regardless, that was a big penalty that really killed the momentum on that particular drive as well. Uh, untimely penalties, uh, undisciplined team. That's a reflection on Adam Gase, whether he wants to accept that responsibility or not, uh, you know, it's on him. Yeah, the players did not execute well. They executed poorly in those cases. But uh, you know, you you're the head coach. It has to fall on you. You have to say, most importantly, perhaps. Well, not most importantly. Because most importantly would be not committing the penalties. But uh, it is critical uh, as the leader of a team when things like that happen. You have to accept responsibility, even if in your gut you don't think it's your fault. You have to accept responsibility. You can't just go along and say, yeah, they were killers, and you know, we could have done this, we could have done this, we should have done that, if that, if this. That's all Adam Gase's press conferences are after losses. Accept the responsibility. You are the head coach of the football team. You might not believe it. You know, and we're talking about him you know, saying things that might not necessarily true, be true. Well, this is one of the things that's good to say, even though it not, might not necessarily be true. But watch an Andy Reid press conference. Watch a, watch a John Harbaugh press conference. Watch these successful coaches when they shoulder the blame, when they know in their heart that they were not to blame. But publicly, they take responsibility. They take accountability. I do not know what it will take for Adam Gase to accept responsibility for failings on his team. It's his team. He is not the quarterback's coach. He's not the offensive coordinator. He's the head football coach of New York Jets. When things go wrong, he needs to take public responsibility, even if he doesn't believe it was his fault. It's not that difficult of a concept to grasp. And I don't quite understand how now 61 games into his 
head coaching career, he has not understood that or been willing to accept that and take that path. Just put in some tapes. If you're in the office 16, 16 hours a day or whatever it is, you know, spend some time during your lunch break to watch press conferences of head coaches who get it, head coaches who understand. Watch Kyle Shanahan. Watch Sean McVay when things aren't going right. Just watch how they comport themselves and accept responsibility and don't run away from accountability. I just, you know, I'm not a fan of the team. You know, I cover the team. I'm not a player on the team. But this idea of him deflecting uh, the blame is is so old. It's jumped the shark. He needs to change his public behavior as the leader of this franchise. If Sam Darnold is who we think he is, and if Joe Douglas is who we think he is, which is going to include having to replace the entire offensive line over the course of the next season or two, then I think the Jets will be fine in the long run. But as we're seeing now, Adam Gase has the potential to make this a whole lot harder on this team than it has to be even after they make these improvements. There's still four games left, though, Manish, so hopefully Adam Gase looks back at the disaster that occurred in Cincinnati, is embarrassed enough by it to think that he finally has to make some changes and does so over the next couple of games. If he does, it'll start this Sunday, the rematch against his old team, the Miami Dolphins. But it's not in sunny Miami this time. It's here in New Jersey. So if you want to go see the Jets and the Dolphins and you don't have your tickets yet, you want to get good tickets at a good price, go ahead and download the Vivid Seats mobile app right now and use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout. You'll get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. You can go to that Jets-Dolphins game or you can go to something else. If you want, you can go to a wrestling match. You can go to a boxing match. You can go to a concert, a hockey game, a basketball game, anything you want. Whatever it is you want to go to, just download the Vivid Seats mobile app, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you will get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. I would imagine that especially after losing to them the first time and knowing how everything went down with him and Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, he's going to want to get revenge. How do you see this game playing out on Sunday? Do you think that the Jets can bounce back from the beating they took in Cincinnati this past Sunday? Well, I said a few weeks ago uh, when they lost the first time to Miami that I was going to stop picking the Jets to win games. And I couldn't help myself, so... Uh, you know, I reverted back to picking the Jets to, to beat the Bengals and calling the Bengals a tomato can and saying that it was a layup. Uh, I was obviously not right. Uh, one could say I was wrong, in fact, in that prediction. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. You know, Jamal Adams likely is not going to play. We'll see how much more banged up, uh, as we touched on earlier, the cornerback situation is. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is red hot. Uh, they, ra- they rallied to beat the Eagles uh, on Sunday. Uh, they, they've got three wins. They're, they're not the 0-16 team that a lot of people thought that they might be this year. Uh, I thought that there couldn't be anything more embarrassing than losing to the 0-7 Dolphins. Uh, I was proven wrong when they lost to the 0-11 Bengals. I think that the only way things could get worse is if they get swept by the Dolphins this year. And, and Scott, you know, Jet fans know, uh, the Jet-Dolphins series is, is always – competitive, uh, regardless of whether uh, one or both of the teams are good. And uh, it, it is difficult, I think. I, I haven't done the, the, you know, the research on it, but I think it's difficult for uh, either team to sweep the season, season, season series. So uh, I would tend to think that the Jets would have the edge 
but but I don't feel confident uh, in, in picking them. Uh, why should I feel confident? They just got dominated by by uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. But they are at home. It is a, a, a revenge game. Uh, I, I do believe in the revenge. I'm not a gambler, but I do believe uh, at least in the revenge game. Uh, you know, side of things when it comes to teams, maybe not necessarily with players, but uh, you know, I think there's something to be said about the Jets being ticked off that they lost in Miami to a winless team, you know, five six weeks ago. So I would tend to think that the Jets have the advantage. But if there's no Jamal Adams, and you know, we're, we're down to bare bones uh, in the secondary. Uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, as he as he has shown, uh, not only in the Jet win, but in these last couple wins, when he catches fire, he's a tough man to stop. And, uh, and will the Jets have an answer for Mike Gesicki? They didn't have an answer for Gesicki the first time around. Gesicki had another really good game against Philly last week. So I don't know how things are going to play out. I, I mean, I would anticipate that it would be a competitive game. But when you look at this final quarter of the season – uh, you know that third quarter was successful. Uh, even even though they got embarrassed by Cincinnati, they did go three and one in the third quarter of the season. Uh, you know this fourth quarter is uh, you know going to be a little bit more daunting, uh, I think, because you know you've, you've got this Dolphin team that just beat them uh, you know a month or so ago. Then you have a short week where you're going to Baltimore. I think you're going to get tra- uh, barring in some kind of injury next week to Lamar Jackson uh, when they play uh, Buffalo. If, if Lamar Jackson is healthy on Thursday night uh, in Baltimore, I think the Jets are going to get waxed. I don't think they're going to win that game. And then suddenly the, the Steelers game in Week 16 is more difficult than I actually thought it would be. I thought this would be a game that the Jets could win, but for a, a number of factors, uh, one, their defense is playing really well, so that's not going to be an easy road to hoe for Sam Darnold and Adam Gase. Uh, two, so they're somehow winning with this third-string quarterback uh Contrary to popular belief, you can actually be competitive and win games with third-string quarterbacks. I know that Adam Gase doesn't believe that You know, when he threw up the white flag when they had their third-string quarterback in earlier this year. But Mike Tomlin, an actual good head coach, has proven that you can win with your third-string quarterback. So I don't think that's going to be an easy game. And then when you sprinkle in the fact that, let's be honest, that's going to be a home game for the Steelers. It might be in MetLife Stadium, but Week 16, December 22nd, uh, that place is going to be packed with Steeler fans. I can guarantee that's going to feel like a Steeler home game. And then you've got Week 17 in Buffalo. We'll find out if the Bills have something to play for. They've got a, you know, a path, I think, potentially to winning the AFC East. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that game means something for uh, Sean McDermott's team. If it doesn't, then maybe Adam Gates gets a break in which uh, you know where the Bills are kind of locked into their playoff slot as a wild card team and they don't play their starters all game. That would be the best case scenario for the Jets because I think if the Bills have something to play for uh, in that final game, I don't think the Jets can win, will win that game either. So this final quarter of the season, you know, Miami, Ravens on a short week, Steelers and Bills, it's going to be much more difficult than what they saw in these previous four games. Manish, I think we can all agree that we were a long way from those classic Dan Marino, Ken O'Brien shootouts. That's not what we're going to see at MetLife Stadium, and it's probably not what we're going to see between these two teams anytime soon. But hopefully, 
both teams get their act together because football is much more interesting when these divisions are competitive. We're seeing the Bills right now starting to surge. They're 9-3. and three. If the Jets and Dolphins can get their act together, especially with the Patriots showing signs of breaking down, we could see a much more competitive AFC East over the next couple of years. But I will say this. If nothing else, Brian Flores is looking really good early on. There seems to be the exact opposite of what's going on here with the Jets where everybody is buying in. So it'll be fascinating to see where this goes over the next couple of years. But for this Sunday, I think it's worth watching to see if Adam Gase adjusts to the problems that he had the first time around. Like you said, Mike Gusecki had a field day. Ryan Fitzpatrick carved up the Jets' defense. The Jets also weren't as dynamic on offense against the Dolphins as you would have liked, especially considering the fact that that defense is certainly nothing special. So we'll see if the Jets are able to do better this time around at home at MetLife Stadium when they take on the Dolphins in the rematch. Manish, as always, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Before you go, why don't you let everybody know what you got cooking over the next couple of days over in the Daily News. Well, I want to see what the mindset is with the team coming off this loss. Uh, I'm playing a team that they should be ticked off at. Uh, I'll get a good vibe during the week. Uh, you know, Typically, this team you know, hasn't been uh, well with me. Uh, I think they've had a good mindset in the locker room. Uh, taking the temperature of everybody in that uh, in that locker room over the next few days uh, will be my my prime objective. And it's something that I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested to read. So make sure that you follow Manish on Twitter and read everything he puts out over the next couple of days in the New York Daily News. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.